0: Good morning and welcome to the Fish Nerds Podcast. Hey, good morning It's 4.30 in the morning, New Year's Eve 2017. This will be the last show of the year, obviously. My name is Clay Groves. I'm Chief Executive of the Fish, Nerd, the Fish Nerds Podcast. Where we talk about fish, fishing, and eating fish. Happy New Year! And I'm joined this morning by my cat. He just can't seem to stop jumping on my equipment while uh, I record. Anyway, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us. And this is our New Year's Christmas holiday spectacular. And uh, boy, are we uh, in for a treat today! What we have is uh, our most popular segment is fish in the news, and so we have a lot of our fish Nerds correspondents, fans of the show, and other podcasts have sent in their news story to share with you. And so we're happy to happy to do that. Um, I hope all of you had a great 2017, and 2018 it will be even fishier for you. I know I've been very busy. I've been on the ice fishing a few times. I've been guiding. I guided the other day. It was minus 24. Uh, ...when I walked on the ice. And it warmed up by the end of the day nicely to negative seven. So uh, I nearly died. But I'm okay. I'm still here. Uh, and we even caught fish. So it's, it's all good. Um, but like I said, tonight, our New Year's News Spectacular. Mostly fish in the news. We also have gotten a lot of Apple uh, podcast reviews and Facebook reviews. I'm going to thank people for sharing those. And you can always share those with us. We love We love new reviews. Um, in addition, we have a brand new Stump the Fish Nerd. we got a phone call uh, in. And uh, as always, uh, if we ever get any calls for it, we do fishing reports at the end of the show. If you want to call yours in or you have a Stump the Fish Nerd's question, just call 607-378-FISH and leave your question, your fishing report, or any other comment for the show. And we always try to use them on the show because uh, we likes you. And that's that. So here we go with our fish in the news. News,
1: news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the
0: news. First up, our very own Doc Martin, the best fish doc I know. She's been part of the show for a few years now. And uh, honestly, she's about the best thing ever for for, uh, fish nerds. So here we go. Here's Doc.
2: Hi, everybody. This is Doc Martin coming at you. Um, I wanted to share a story for our little uh, Fish News Holiday Edition. Um, those of you that have you know interacted with me um, through the Fish Nerds podcast page or something like that have probably picked up uh, on the fact that I enjoy listening to some heavy metal every once in a while. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Um, and so this... Fish in the News story is all about fish and metal music. So it turns out that um, this is from the IFL Science webpage, and the headline is um, Death Metal Can Be Used to Attract Great White Sharks. Um, so, of course, I have very mixed feelings about the IFL Science page. Um, For those of you that don't know the acronym, this is something that you can find on social media. They also have a proper website, but it's I Fucking Love Science. that has been around for uh, several years now, and they usually do a pretty decent job of doing science-based things. Um, Some stuff more than others, but usually I think it's pretty obvious... um, if the source that they're citing or the story that they're doing is good in terms of science. Um, I digress. (laughs) So this is from a little story that happened on shark week from the discovery channel. For those of you that watch TV. Um, so a documentary film crew, um, found that blasting this death metal down into the water can help attract great white sharks. So, um, I guess they used some speakers, they submerged them underwater, um, and they were trying to attract one particular shark, specifically, they, they didn't get that shark that they wanted, but they did attract two other great whites to come to the boat. Um, they say that, you know, sharks can feel vibrations of uh, sound waves through their lateral line, which is a sense organ, that is true. Um, and they are, they, the great whites are also very sensitive to low frequency vibrations, which they use to detect shoals of fish. So the thought is that this thumping, rumbling tones and beats of this death metal are perfect for these sharks to pick up on. And then that is what attracts them. Uh, I just thought this story was super fun as a fan of fish and a fan of metal. Um, I thought Well, that makes sense that I should have something in common with the organisms that I love. (laughs) Um, And apparently a few years ago, um, down in Australia, um, a shark tour guide um, operator found that using ACDC songs had a very similar effect. So... I guess if you are into sharks and you want to attract those to your boat, it sounds like you need something where um, you got a lot of bass and a lot of thumping, rumbling tones. Um, I think that is super interesting. I would love to see some kind of research. I don't know, maybe a bunch of boats all over different areas, trying different kinds of music. Um, I also wonder if we would take whatever ACDC song or death metal that these other operators have played and shift the pitch and tone of them, if that would make a difference. So instead of having that low frequency, if we could change it to have the same song in a higher frequency, would that make a difference? Or is it something with the actual rhythm of the beats? I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's other research out there that's more in depth than this little tidbit on ifl science but i hope you found that interesting and i hope you all have a wonderful uh holiday season signing off and i'll catch you on the flip side all
0: right here are a couple of reviews from the old apple podcast first one is nerdy is the new cool and i need it And this is from the beyond data podcast It says, I've been listening to the Fish Nerds for a while now. I am always impressed by their podcast that makes me laugh and also teaches me something new. Fish Nerds delivers every episode. Edutainment? Entercation? You get the point. Just listen. That's from uh, Rhett Talbot from the Beyond Data Podcast. And by the way, if you want a really nerdy podcast, go that direction. It's very, very good. Next one. Let's go fishing. This is from Story Spectacular user. Five-star review, of course. I grew up fly fishing as a kid, and now I live in Portland. We don't know Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon, or any other Portland, but it's Portland, which relies on lobstering and fishing. Lobstering fishing must be Portland, Maine. I am so happy to have discovered this show. I don't think there's much lobstering in Portland, Oregon. I'm not sure. I know there's lots of hippie-ing out there. All right, our friend Paul from the from the Varmints podcast, one of my very favorite podcasts. And this is great because. Because Paul and I met, I liked his podcast, and I started interacting with him on Facebook. And I was a, before I interacted with him, I was a huge fan of his podcast. If you haven't heard the Varmint's podcast, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. Listen with your kids. Uh Paul and Donna are wonderful. And so whenever I hear from Paul, it's like hearing from a superstar. I get like I get nervous. Like when I'm talking to him, he calls me on the phone once in a while and I'm like, oh my gosh, Paul's calling. Paul's calling. Uh, But he submitted some news
1: for us. So here is Paul from the Varmints. Not a whole lot is known about Greenland sharks. They live in cold, dark, deep Atlantic waters. They swim slow. They look weird. They eat almost anything. And fishermen catch them all the time and hate them because we can't eat them. And that's pretty much all that scientists have learned about them. Until now. Three Danish scientists figured out a way to determine a Greenland shark's longevity. Now, that's not a problem with other sharks. With any other shark, you simply count the growth rings on fin spines and vertebrae. But Greenland sharks don't have those hard tissues. What they do have are lens crystallines, which are a class of proteins found in their eyeballs. The scientists spent five years with research boats and local fishermen harvesting eyes from 28 Greenland sharks. Now, lens crystallines remain stable throughout a shark's life. The scientists knew this from studying human lens crystallines. Like all organic molecules, within these crystallines are trace amounts of a radioactive isotope, carbon-14. Carbon-14 is naturally occurring, and the level fluctuates from year to year. A particularly huge spike of carbon-14 called the bomb pulse happened in the 1950s and 60s when there was a lot of nuclear bomb testing. Now, it's hard to establish background carbon-14 levels in the ocean, and there are many, many variables, so the scientists weren't able to get an exact born-on date for these sharks. But with the help of a mathematical model that linked size with age, they estimated that one 16-foot female that was born well before the bomb pulse was at least 272 years old and possibly as much as 512 years old. Inexact as that was, that firmly established Greenland sharks as the longest-living vertebrates on Earth. In theory, the biggest ones could be nearly 600 years old. As to why or how these sharks are able to live that long, well, the scientists still have no idea. For the Fish Nerds News Network, I don't even know if that's a thing, I'm Paul Chomo, host of the Varmints Podcast. We're an educational, comedy, family-friendly show that is all about animals. You can find the Varmints Podcast on Apple Podcast. Or wherever you download your podcasts. One of our favorite fish
0: guys is Fish Guy Josh. He's from California. He's a biologist. Sometimes he works with uh, the Amazing James. Sometimes works with Doc Martin. This time he worked all by himself. I gave him a story to do. Um, to to ask a good question is is uh, extinction a bad thing? Um, I always love I love pondering those kind of things, and he took it on full force. Uh, What do you think? Are some animals just not meant to survive? I mean, if you're, if you evolved only to eat one kind of food, like a panda, maybe you're just not meant to stick around very long. I don't know. But you tell me. Here's what Josh thinks. Enjoy. We don't need to save
3: endangered species. Extinction is part of evolution. The only creatures we should go out of our way to protect are Homo sapiens. Now, before you guys freak out and wonder what the heck happened to Fish Guy Josh, uh, I just want to assure you all that I'm still the same old me. Uh, That is just the article title and opening line to um, an article that Clay sent me um, that I'm going to cover for our holiday extravaganza end of the year uh, mega fish in the news. And I'm not sure why Clay presented me with this article. However, um, I will say that um, I come from a pretty conservative background in the Deep South in Louisiana Mississippi area. That's where my friends and family are from and where I went to school. Uh, But now I do live out here in San Francisco Bay, which is the polar opposite of um, those views uh, and values. And um, I have my own opinions, and I'm not going to say one side is – uh, wrong versus the other, that's for you to decide. Uh, I have been blessed with being able to experience a lot of different extremes and everything along the way in the middle. So for me, um, I appreciate the ability to uh, read or listen to someone speak. And even if it's something I don't necessarily agree with, um, I do enjoy the opportunity to soak it all in and help it um, blend in with my overall opinion of life and uh, viewpoints and 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 take at least some part of what I hear with me, even if it's something that I don't agree with and I want to learn from that. Um, so I think, you know, this article uh, gives us that opportunity. It is definitely an article that's a little off-center of what um, we might typically think as far as conservation, especially a lot of the the fish nerd fan base. Um, And some of the stuff you're going to hear me say uh, is probably going to sound pretty crazy to you. Uh, Some of it may make you think a little bit. um, And heck, who knows, may even make you change your viewpoint a little bit. I'm not saying that did or didn't happen for me uh, because, again, I want to leave the option of change to you uh, the listener, um, I just think it's a pretty interesting read, and um, again, I don't know why Clay chose it for me, but I'm glad he did because it is um, it's it's been a pretty neat little experience. Um, I'll start off by saying that this is not by um, some crazy uh, ultra right wing, super anti environmental, uh, pro industrial uh, humans are the only thing that matters. Uh, ultra conservative that that you may initially think it would be by. Um, it's actually by a guy called Alexander Pyron, who's a he's an associate professor of biology at George Washington University, and he actually um, you know supports conservation, believes that we as humans need to make a lot of changes, but as you'll see here in this article, he doesn't believe we need to do that for the sake of the animals. Um, he he starts off, ironically, uh, starts off the uh, article by recollecting uh, a collection trip he did to Ecuador where he was looking for ultra-rare amphibians, um, and it was these frogs that he was collecting to send back for breeding programs. But he notes that at one point, uh, even though they're, they're breeding safely in captivity, uh, the species will go extinct one day and the world will be none the poorer for it, and eventually it will be replaced by a dozen or even a hundred new species that evolve later. He then goes on to discuss mass extinctions. These periodically wipe out 95% of all species in one fell swoop, and they come about every 50 million to 100 million years, and scientists agree that we're now in the middle of the sixth such extinction. However, this one is different in that it it is primarily caused by humans and our effects on animal habitats. And though he does state that this is, quote, an immense and hidden tragedy to see creatures pushed out of existence by humans, um, he goes on to say some pretty profound things um, that don't really support what you and I would uh, think our typical pro-conservation standpoints and his reasoning for wanting to preserve the planet in any way, shape, or form are focused solely on the success of our own species, human beings. Um, Here's what he had to say. The impulse to conserve for conservation's sake has taken on an unthinking, unsupported, unnecessary urgency. Extinction is the engine of evolution, the mechanism by which natural selection prunes the poorly adapted and allows the hardiest to flourish. Species constantly go extinct and every species that is alive today will one day follow suit. There is no such thing as an endangered species, except for all species. The only reason we should conserve biodiversity is for ourselves, to create a stable future for human beings. Yes. We have altered the environment, and in doing so, hurt other species. This seems artificial because we, unlike other life forms, use sentience, and agriculture, and industry. But we are part of the biosphere just like every other creature, and our actions and their consequences are just as natural. Conserving a species we have helped to kill off, but on which we are not directly dependent, serves to discharge our own guilt, but little else. This is how evolution proceeds, through extinction. The inevitability of death is the only constant in life, and 99.9% of all species that have ever lived, as many as 50 billion, have already gone extinct. In 50 million years, Europe will collide with Africa and form a new supercontinent, destroying species by irrevocably altering their habitats. Extinction of individual species, entire lineages, and even complete ecosystems are common occurrences in the history of life. The world is no better or worse for the absence of saber-toothed tigers and dodo birds and our Neanderthal cousins, who died off as Homo sapiens evolved. Conserving biodiversity should not be an end in itself. Diversity can even be a hazard to human health. Infectious diseases are most prevalent in the most diverse tropical areas. Nobody donates to campaigns to save HIV, Ebola, malaria, dengue, and yellow fever, but these are key components to microbial diversity, as unique as pandas, elephants, and orangutans, all of which are endangered thanks to human interference. Humans should feel less shame about molding their environment to suit their survival needs. When beavers make a dam, they cause the local extinction of numerous riverine species that cannot survive in the new lake, but that new lake supports a set of species that is just as diverse. There is no return to pre-human Eden. The goals of species conservation have to be aligned with the acceptance that large numbers of animals will go extinct— 30-40% to of species may be threatened with extinction in the near future, and their loss may be inevitable, but both the planet and humanity can probably survive and even thrive in a world with fewer species. We don't depend on polar bears for survival, and even if their eradication has a domino effect that eventually affects us, we will find a way to adapt. The species that we rely on for food and shelter are a tiny proportion of total biodiversity, and most humans live in and rely on areas of only moderate biodiversity, not the Amazon or the Congo Basin. If climate change and extinction presents problems, the problems stem from the drastic effects they will have on us, a billion climate refugees. Widespread famines, collapsed global industries, and the pain and suffering of our kin demand attention to ecology and imbue conservation with a moral imperative. A global temperature increase by 2 degrees Celsius will supposedly raise sea levels by 0.2 to 0.4 meters, with no effect on vast segments of the continents and most terrestrial biodiversity. But this is enough to flood most coastal cities, and that matters the solution is simple, moderation. While we should feel no remorse about altering our environment, there is no need to clear-cut forests for McMansions on 15-acre plots of crabgrass land. We should save whatever species and habitats can be easily rescued. Once endangered creatures such as bald eagles and peregrine falcons now flourish. Refrain from polluting waterways, limit consumption of fossil fuels, and rely more on low-impact renewable energy resources. We should do this to create a stable, equitable future for the coming billions of people, not for the vanishing northern river shark. Conservation is needed for ourselves and only ourselves. All those future people deserve a happy, safe life on an ecologically robust planet regardless of the state of the natural world compared to its pre-human condition. We cannot thrive without crops or pollinators, or along coastlines as sea levels rise and as storms and flooding intensifies. Yet that robust planet will still erase huge swaths of animal and plant life. Even if we live as sustainably as we can, many creatures will die off and alien species will disrupt formerly pristine native ecosystems. The sixth extinction is ongoing and inevitable. And Earth's long-term recovery is guaranteed by history. Invasion and extinction are the regenerative and rejuvenating mechanisms of evolution, the engines of biodiversity. If this means fewer dazzling species, fewer unspoiled forests, less untamed wilderness, so be it. They will return in time the tree of life will continue branching, even if we prune it back. The question is, how will we live in the meantime? So there you have it, guys. Um, Pretty heavy stuff. Um, Pretty interesting stuff. I don't necessarily agree with everything, um, but I'm also not going to blame a guy for wanting his species, humans, to live on in advance. Uh, I think deep down, all of us want that to some extent. Um, however, a lot of us do feel uh, plenty more remorse than this guy does about what we do. Um, but you know, like I said, that opinion is uh, yours and yours alone to decide. It might drive you to conserve animals even more because it angers you. Um, it might make you stop and rethink Uh, Your viewpoint of other people who don't see conservation quite as important as you do. Who knows what it's going to do? If anything, um, it's an interesting read. So, there you have it. Um, Fish Guy Josh has spoken. Um, And I want to wish everybody out there um, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, Good luck in 2018. Uh, I'm hoping to have plenty more Fish Guy meets Fish Guys. Uh plenty more fish of the day with the lovely Doc Martin. And who knows, uh looks like we may even see a resurgence of the old F and West.
0: I'll see you around. Longtime listeners will know that we have a, a friend, Captain Sean Tibbets from Maine Tuna com. He's a shark and tuna captain and uh He's technology uh, illiterate, <laughs> and so he yeah, sometimes has a hard time uh, getting on the phone with us or recording a show with us, but he's fabulous. We love Captain Sean, um, and uh, we highly recommend, by the way, if you're going to go tuna fishing or you want to take a kids out on a on a mackerel trip or a bluefish, fi- a, blue a, a, a straight bass trip out in Maine. You should call him at com and book a trip. Uh, we've done it a lot of times. We always have a really great time. Just go to the bathroom before you get on the boat. Um, if you're like me and can't go near anybody. Um, anyway, uh, Captain Sean and I, we had to record this this this, this uh, together, and we couldn't get any tech to work. My microphones weren't working. Uh, my recording equipment wasn't working. And so the, the audio is a little wonky, but it's Captain Sean. He's worth the effort. Um... And I always say, people are worth the effort, just uh, give them your time. And Sean is definitely worth our time. Here's Captain Sean. (laughs) Hey, uh, fish nerds. Welcome, Captain Sean Tibbetts from Tunafishing.com. We are uh, on a video conference or audio conference on the internet right now, so the sound is all over the place. But Sean doesn't understand technology, and clearly I don't either. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, Clay? Yeah, good. Oh, actually, welcome back to the show. Merry Christmas to you.
4: This is our. I've been here before. Christmas.
0: You have been here before. This is our. Christmas I have show our big end of the year Christmas news extravaganza, and I, I thought it'd be great to get you on here because a couple months ago you came on and we talked about this big tuna fish that was found in the woods down in Gloucester.
4: Yeah,
0: remember that story? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so basically they found this giant tuna hanging from a tree in the woods, and they had no idea.
4: No, it wasn't hanging from a tree. It was just laying out in the woods.
0: Well, when I tell a story, it's better than
4: uh, All right, fine.
0: <laughs> but they found it laying in the woods, and they had no idea. And you and I both speculated somebody caught it out of season, didn't know what to do with it, and they just threw it in the woods. Yep. Yep. Turns out that's exactly what happened. <laughs> And this is this is just uh, this happened on December fifth. Is when they figured out who did it. A Massachusetts man has been accused of catching a tuna out of season, then dumping it, dumping its headless four hundred pound carcass in the woods. By the way, Sean, what's a four hundred pound tuna worth?
4: Mm, this year, probably twelve hundred bucks. It's a lot of money. It, yeah, it varies. You know, I mean. Average probably twelve hundred bucks, three bucks a pound. You know, if it's a diamond, maybe ten. If they fight over it in Japan, maybe twelve. Good,
0: and that's fighting over
4: means like auction, right? Yes.
0: Yeah. Either way, it's worth a lot of money. But this this guy was stuck with it. Uh, the Gloucester Daily Times reports that the forty year old Harold Wentworth was his name uh, on Monday pleaded not guilty. To state charges including improper disposal of waste and expelling trash or litter from a motor vehicle, so that knowing they bagged yeah. him on, uh, on catching the tuna, they bagged him on littering
4: as well. Well, hopefully the feds will to get him too. Yeah, well, federal Fed, these are all state,
0: state charges. regulators say they have also served him with an enforcement action of for allegedly illegally harvesting tuna out of season. Perfect. So they are getting him. Authorities say they have video of Wentworth landing the bluefin bluefin tuna in Rockport on October twentieth, fifteen days after the close of the season. Uh and it was hauled out of the woods in Gloucester by a tow truck on October twenty fourth. So that's yeah. it. That's all we know, but it looks like they're gonna charge him not only federally with the crime of uh, poaching, uh, but also they're hitting him with littering as well. <laughs> <laughs> littering, yeah. Littering. I'm not sure if putting a tuna in the woods. I mean it's not it's hardly litter, right? I mean they're Someone's gonna eat it.
4: Hey, anything, anything they can knock them with.
0: Yeah, well, just because they are such a bad dude. And I, I read, earlier, well, I read earlier today somewhere else. I'm not going to review that story, but I read that um, poachers are now catching more fish than legal fishermen are. Like the amount of people fishing illegally is higher than those fishing legally. Have you heard that?
4: I that's uh, that's been a problem for a long time.
0: Yeah, well, I, I'm new to that problem.
4: The National Marine Fisheries Service has a problem with enforcing the laws of those on enforcing the laws on those of us that abide by the law and leaving the ones that don't abide by the law alone.
0: So it must make you happy to see this guy get busted, because hopefully that. Yes, will it does. Yeah, yeah, that jerk.
4: <laughs> so do you I know
0: do him? Do you know uh, Harold? I Brown? do not. No. Good. Nope. Yeah, I just I thought maybe you'd be Facebook buddies or something.
4: <laughs> not that i know of but i'll definitely get on facebook and check
0: yeah look him up send some nasty
4: grams so but anyway it's good because yeah.
0: he taught him bad news that he killed a fish at a season that's one less for you to get next year sean
4: exactly it's one less fish that has a chance to go back to the med or back down to uh, the gulf of mexico and reproduce
0: yeah which is sad we want to see them making more fishes so um that's exactly. sad news but hey let's talk about some happy news let's talk about a fish orgy
4: Fish orgy. Yeah, you got, now, ex- you got
5: excited about
4: it. <laughs> I should interject. You should have myself and Luke do this story because I think, you know, me and Luke would be the perfect. <laughs> we would be the perfect commentators on a fish orgy.
0: You guys would be. Maybe we'll have to follow up with a, there's, so, there's You know, fish orgies are not uncommon. So maybe we'll have to get you and Luke together for a fish orgy conversation. It's really hard to get him on the phone because he's like 18 hours ahead of us. So he's in a different. Okay, I don't sleep. Yeah, well, so maybe we'll, we'll we'll figure this out for a future story. But in the meantime, I've got. We, to... would,
4: we would. have to like you'd have to put the parental the R or whatever it is up on the screen. Actually, it might be an X on that conversation.
0: For, happy. for those who don't know, uh, Luke uh, Chammings from Chamo's Lures down in Australia is our our uh, one of our correspondents down there. And uh, but I but I would love to get you and Luke together in the same boat and just go fishing and just record it.
4: That would be great. Yeah. Although he wouldn't understand my accent, and I wouldn't understand his.
0: You assume that
4: <laughs> there'd be a lot of wankers and all kinds of other stuff that I don't understand, but everybody else thinks is funny.
0: That'd be perfect. Uh, let's maybe Luke will fly us down there. That'd be great. He's he's rich, isn't
4: he? <laughs> I think so. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. <laughs> but anyway, um, I thought of you for this story because you know we're thinking about sex and fish and you being the only man i've ever kissed on the mouth uh, i thought you, who better talk to talk
4: why you? would you bring that up you kissed me <laughs> i didn't want to jump over because the water was full of blood and guts and sharks and sharks <laughs> yeah
0: but anyway so uh, for those who don't know sean's a very good good kisser and i highly recommend uh, kissing a captain sean when you get a chance uh but this is from nice, this is, yeah you're welcome this is real news um uh, scientists have recorded the thunderous sound of 1.5 million fish mating in Mexico.
4: 1.5 million. That must be one hell of a hot tub.
0: Uh, it's a great, it's out in Cabo Cabo probably. <laughs> one, of the, one of the loudest noises produced by any underwater animal, the Gulf Corvitas machine gun mating call can deafen dolphins and sea lions. It's so loud it hurts mammals. So here's the story. Each spring, all adults—I, I know. Each spring, all adults <laughs> of this species migrate to one site, the Colorado River Delta in the uppermost portion of the Gulf, um, to form one spawning aggregation of several million fish. It's like a several million fish orgy. Uh. <laughs> uh and so here is. I'm when, still
4: stuck on orgy.
0: I know. Well, you've, you've been that kind of guy. Uh, when the fish mate, males produce short, sharp, sonic pulses like gunshots. And when they sing in a chorus, the sound is loud enough to hear from fishing boats. Over four days, scientists used sophisticated recording technology to catch the sound of the fish orgy on tape. And Sean, here's what you pretend. I'm going to play that now, but it's going to be I'm mixing it in later. So here's the here's the, milk, the sound. Now you pretend. You're wow, playing. that's amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, uh, three
4: minutes of that sound.
0: <laughs> that kind of turned me on a little bit, Sean. I'm
4: not, I'm not going to lie to you. Well, you're a three-minute man, so. <laughs>
0: I'm not an animal, man. I'm not a machine. Three minutes. Who has that kind of time? <laughs> <laughs> um, we discovered that the sound produced by the simultaneous chorusing of corvina are the loudest ever recorded for a fish, loud enough to harm the hearing of other marine animals and among the loudest animal sounds recorded, which we've already said. This article is very repetitive. Uh, the main chorus is so loud it raises the normal level of sound in the environment by 21 times, making the pho- phenomenon a true wildlife spectacle. 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 <laughs>
4: It's so good. <laughs> You're stuck on testicle. I'm stuck on orgy.
0: I know. You can't get past it. Uh, the cacophony is loud enough to cause permanent hearing loss in dolphins and sea lions, but in spite of danger to both, um, the animals stick around because the food are there.
4: That makes sense. They hear the food. They stick around because it's a fish orgy and everybody wants to see what it's all about.
0: I just want to watch. I imagine a big cloud of milt. <laughs> visualizing. Oh,
4: my <yeah>. God. <laughs> Uh, Corvina, oh Clay, I'll leave the light on you when I. I'll leave the light on for you when I get to hell. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna be so happy. Uh, the Corvina's deafening lovemaking doesn't just attract scientists. Fishing boats also sail towards the call. of The annual mating frenzy. Frenzy is science talk for orgy. In fact, if it weren't for overfishing, the fish course would probably be even louder. Our measurements likely underestimate the soundscape potential of the event, given the intense, persistent fishing activity that has greatly reduced the size of the adult population. Uh so it, that's the whole story but really it's all about fish having sex so loud everyone can hear it. Of course. Of course. Yeah, a good guy, time. Good. <laughs> that's your measure of quality
4: right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Clay
0: Yeah, now have you ever ever been involved with a giant uh, cacophony of uh, fish sex or, like when you're out guiding in the ocean do you ever get come across a big fish orgy?
4: Uh not that I've known about. Mm-hmm. Although, we have watched whales have just.
0: That sounds dirty. Do they do it is it just like one on one or do they do large
4: groups? Uh the the, the, the that, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the whale sex act that we observed which by the way they were children on the boat. So right. It was a G rated. It was a G rated. Not narration. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh it was just a male and female.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Well, that's boring. Now, what well, what position do whales do it in? Uh, the, the position that we observed was the whale that was on top. Which don't ask me if it was a boy or a girl <laughs> whale, but he kept popping out of the water. <laughs>
0: it's called a uh, dive. It was very, style. It, it was very
4: awkward.
0: <laughs> what do you say to the kids?
4: I just went up in the tower and pretended that they. Well, that, that's normal whale behavior, and Mom made an entire running narration about the whales making babies.
0: Oh, that's sweet.
4: <laughs> I stayed. I stayed right out of it,
0: You're like jumping off the boat. Don't make me tell him.
4: You <laughs> don't want me to narrate this.
0: <laughs> I would love to hear the Captain Sean narration version. <laughs> just watch me. Watch you know All right. Hey, Sean, thanks for your time today. And if people want to follow along with your adventures, they can go to maintunafishing.com or find uh, dot com on Facebook. And, of course, they can book their trips for next year right now, right?
4: Yes, sir. We start booking January
0: 1st. January for just a week away here from Christmas, and it makes a great uh, Christmas gift. So, hey, Sean, thanks it does. so
4: much. Thanks,
0: Clay. All right. All right. How about some uh, some more podcast reviews? Here we go from Dr. Toboggan. This is on uh, Apple Podcast. Uh, and uh, Dr. Toboggan is actually the host, Brent, from Hysteria 51 podcast. And he simply says, Keep it up. Uh, and I say, Okay. Uh, <laughs> here's another one. Great five star review from Ginger Ann1. Well, thank you, Ginger and one uh, i'm glad we are your new favorite podcast and uh here's a here's a really fun one fish <laughs> this is from former addict 420 former addict 420 uh i used to hate eating fish and then something changed i began to love eating fish that was great because it gave me a reason to go fishing this is what this is what i listen to while i go fishing great show uh so hey we're happy to Happy to be what you listen to when you go fishing. Uh, I'm, i gotta be honest, I lost my Bluetooth headphones, and I plowed them into a snowbank, and I stopped listening to podcasts since losing my headphones, so I haven't heard any new podcasts, um, almost at all, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I did listen in the shower yesterday to a podcast, but uh, but you generally speaking, I've been barely listening to podcasts. I've got to get my headphones back, and I've got to catch up on all my shows that I like listening to. Oh, here's another podcast review let's do a couple more while we're here a compelling host with a likable show i like being compelling uh and having a likable show this is from dependent nick uh, from the dependent independent podcast by the way i was a guest on that show a couple weeks ago if you're looking for a more in-depth discussion with me about uh, art and culture and acting that would be uh something you might want to get into uh anyway he says i had the opportunity to meet the host of this amazing show attending a conference. That was the uh, MAPCOM, Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference. And before even listening to the show, I was able to join him for a drink and learn who the man behind the mic was. I was interested in getting to know Clay, then even more excited to get to know him through the show. Clay goes beyond just being a fish nerd. He's a man who's lived with a story we can all connect with if we all came from the sea one day. Uh, Clay is here or there to bring us back together. Great show great shows. I got two great shows. That's great show squared. That's exponentially good show. Um, All right. Now, the fun thing about making a podcast is being friends with other podcasters. We are friendly with a podcast um, called the Casual Birder Podcast. And uh, look, if you're a fish nerd, it's not a big leap to become a bird nerd as well. And it rhymes more. Um, The Casual Birder Podcast, you can find anywhere you find your podcast, and they sent us in a little news story. So I thank you, Casual Birder Podcast. We love you.
7: Hi, I'm Susie Buttress from the Casual Birder Podcast. I'm used to hearing stories about birds catching fish. I've seen images of ospreys grabbing salmon from the water or northern gannets diving for herring. But I was astounded last week to see a fish catch a bird on the BBC television series Blue Planet 2. Giant trevallis, a type of wrasse, live in the Seychelles and had been reported for some time to catch seabirds. Well, Blue Planet 2 managed to film this amazing event. The footage shows an enormous fish leaping out of the water and grabbing a sooty tern that was flying by. Totally unexpected and a little shocking. The Telegraph newspaper reported viewers being upset and traumatised by seeing the show, but others recognised the necessity of feeding to live. At Faye Staker tweeted, Blue Planet stresses me out so much because I want the bird to avoid being eaten, but I don't want the fish to starve to death. Having seen humpback whales lunge-feeding, causing herring to leap for their lives to escape being eaten, only to be picked off by gulls swooping in for an easy feed, I sympathize with that view. Well, that's all from me. Check out the Casual Birder podcast, and happy holidays to you all.
0: Speaking of friendly neighborhood podcasters, uh, Andrew Lewin, host uh, and ocean, self-proclaimed oceanpreneur of the Speak Up for Blue podcast. He's been part of our show for a little over a year now. We've become podcast pals. Um, that sounds weird. We've been podcast friends now for a little over a year he makes a great conservation show called Speak Up for Blue. Um, we, in fact, uh, Fish Nerds have been on it several times. And he just released his episode that outlined the the five five most downloaded podcasts of his ep- of his show this year. And the Fish Nerds made the top five list. So we are glad to be uh, the best thing that ever happened to Speak Up for Blue. And uh, we love Andrew. He does a segment for us called Speak Up for the F in Blue. F in meaning Fish Nerds. Blue. Don't get dirty uh anyway so he gave us this story um this actually we reported on this but uh we're gonna use it anyway because it's a great great story thank you andrew from speak up for the blue podcast get that subscribe to it love it
6: what's up fish nerds uh thanks for joining uh, the end of year segment here on the fish nerds podcast this is the speak up for Effin blue segment Clay contacted a bunch of us that that contribute to the show and asked us if we would put together uh, one of the some of the weirdest stories or one of the weirdest stories that we've heard over the past year in 2017. So I thought, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to talk about a, a story, and I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast on Fish Nerd's. I definitely spoke spoke about it on my podcast, but um, it's one of the most bizarre stories I've heard, but definitely understandable. Uh, in, in a way. So this is it. Uh, it doesn't have to do with fish. It actually has to do with a, a marine mammal and an invertebrate. Uh, the the bottlenose dolphin. I think it's a bottlenose dolphin. Bo- a, no, a, a, a dolphin in Australia. Researchers found that these, these dolphins, these pods of dolphins were emaciating these octopus in the water. And it looked like they were just playing around. Uh, with the octopus they were taking it they were grabbing it they were throwing it up in the air and then they would catch it again and they would rip it apart and rip one arm off then they would take that arm and rip it again and then they just kept just like literally tearing this thing apart and uh and it was you know a lot of people are like oh what you know what are dolphins doing like why are they doing this kind of stuff and a lot of people think dolphins are friendly but uh, if you go to the Deep Sea News uh, website, deepseanews.com, you'll find an article there called "12 Reasons Why Dolphins Are Assholes." And uh, sorry for the swear, Clay. Uh, and uh, but that's that's the title of this thing. And and it, what it says is it says wild dolphins are quite aggressive and can be very nasty. They kill. They they will kill a new uh, a baby porpoise just to uh, mate with a, a female they uh, are aggressive towards people when they meet them in the wild um they're very horny let's just say they're known for potential rape uh if you want to call it that in the wild uh and so there's there's a lot of things a lot of things that they that they do that can be considered a faux pas uh for humans regardless you know when you look at these the, the way they eat these octopuses you're like wow okay so dolphins have this this sort of um Reputation that they're really nice, they're really gentle, they help people out. But here they are destroying this octopus or many octopus, and you're just kind of like, what is going on? And the reason they're actually doing that is for their own survival. Now, of course, dolphins are a predator, Uh, they like to eat and they use their eco location. They're very sophisticated predators, they use their eco location to find predators uh, uh, from various distances, and they will go in and they will hunt schools of fish and, and so forth. And apparently, octopus are on the menu. And so now, uh, when they find an octopus and they want to eat an octopus, they have to literally tear it apart, in, like limb by limb, just piece by piece, and, and, and do it into small pieces because uh, octopus, it has to do with the octopus nervous system. The octopus nervous system is very sophisticated for an invertebrate, but it's not centralized. So that means even if you tear off an arm, the arm can still move. So you have to really tear it apart into small pieces, or else it'll still move. And why you're probably wondering why that matters, well when an octopus eats an say it tears an arm one arm, a full arm off of an octopus, when a dolphin tears that off an octopus, and the the arm will get swallowed. But the thing is the arm can still move. So the arm can actually choke a dolphin and asphyxiate it from the inside. So that's why dolphins actually destroy and look like they just murder these octopus before they eat them. Because if they don't, they can still, the, the arms can still move or pieces of the octopus can still move in their, in their digestive system, clogging up things, making them choke, uh, and actually killing them. So they've learned over time, dolphins have learned to really just tear these suckers apart. And it looks awful. But let's be honest here. When we eat a piece of meat, it looks awful. We're literally tearing this thing, you know, piece by piece in small bits so we can fit it in our mouth so we don't choke because too big of a piece is going to choke. But we think it's okay because we're using a fork and knife. Well, the dolphin fork and knife are its teeth and whatever it can use to leverage tearing this thing apart. So maybe that's sophisticated in the wild. Maybe that's sophisticated for a dolphin. But in essence when you next time you see a dolphin and they're eating an octopus and people are like oh my god that all that dolphin is just treating that thing like garbage and it's just using as a toy tell the people no no it's just eating the octopus and it needs to because of its nervous system and it can still move after it's taken off and go through the whole thing that i just told you because they need to know uh and we need to get the reputation of dolphins back Back to what it was, even though they can be assholes. So anyway, uh, I hope you guys had a great year, 2017. Uh, Clay, thank you very much for allowing me to come on the podcast and letting you know this and allowing me to uh, produce some segments. Hopefully, I'll get to produce some more segments over 2018. Uh, and other than that, have a happy holidays. Have a great new year. I hope you have a great 2018, and we'll see you then. Thanks a lot, Clay. Okay, our effin' librarian is
0: back. Our effin' librarian is Jeff Danielson. He is from the, he works at the Mid-Continent Public Library out in, I think, Kansas City, Missouri. I get confused if Kansas City is in Kansas or in Missouri. But uh, we know that uh, we love our effin' librarian. And we have a segment on the show uh, that we do together called the effin' book club, the Fish and Orange book club. We're bringing it back next week, I believe, I hope. Uh, we're doing some uh, uh, some cooking. And so we have uh, Hugo Medeiros, our effin' cooking correspondent with our librarian and me, and we, we took on some tinned fish recipes, and we'll be talking about that on the next episode of the Fish Nerds podcast. Here's Jeff Downson.
8: Hey, nerds, it's Jeff, the effin' librarian here. I've got a year-end story here, and I want to take a little bit different tack uh, from some of the bigger, or crazier stories and talk about something that's More along the lines of all the little things that get done around this country, all over the place, all the time to improve fisheries, to improve our streams. And this focuses on a a little hidden treasure we have here in this area, and it's in southwest Missouri. It's called Crane Creek, and it has one of the last populations of pure strain McLeod River rainbow trout. Um, Rainbow trout have been mixed from various places of origin all over the place to the point where their genetics are just a muddled mess. But here and there, there are these little pockets of pure-strain fish, and it's kind of ironic that one of the last places that you can find the pure-strain McLeod River rainbow trout, with the McLeod River being in California, is in a tiny little stream tucked away in the middle of nowhere in the Ozarks. And uh, so the story is, from the Springfield News leader, rare McLeod rainbows and Crane Creek get an unusual ally, a new bridge. And this is by Wes Johnson. It might not seem like a significant change, replacing a tired old bridge with one over a small Missouri creek. But lifelong fisherman Tim Holmesley likes the look of it, especially where the cool, clear water flows underneath. Look at those small pebbles down there, he says, eyeing the gravel bottom through the sparkling water. That's just what these rainbows need to lay their eggs when they do their spawning run. He's talking about the fascinating McLeod rainbow trout that thrive in Stone County's Crane Creek, having been put there in the late 1800s by a train crew carrying the live fish from California's McLeod River. Spring-fed Crane Creek remains cool enough and the habitat provides just the right kind of food for the fish to survive year-round and more significantly also reproduce, laying their eggs in gravel deposits. It's one of the few places in Missouri where wild trout are able to reproduce naturally. The trout that anglers typically catch at Bennett Spring, Lake Taneycomo, Roaring River, or other Missouri trout parks are hatchery-raised fish. But an eight-mile section of Crane Creek has been designated a blue-ribbon trout area by the Missouri Department of Conservation to celebrate the wild McLeod rainbow fishery. And that brings us back to the new bridge. Because of the stream's special designation, the $240,000 bridge replacement project was able to tap some money from the Stream Stewardship Trust Fund administered through the Missouri Conservation Heritage Foundation. The stream stewardship money helps restore, enhance, and protect stream systems and associated habitats. The previous bridge in the trout spawning areas on Upper Crane Creek had a concrete floor, which trout couldn't use to lay their eggs. The new bridge spans the entire creek and has a natural bottom, that, according to the Missouri Department of Conversa- Conservation, will improve the habitat for McLeod rainbows and other aquatic species. The new bridge will also be less likely to flood because more water can pass beneath it during heavy rain events, a benefit to motorists who need to cross Crane Creek at its upper, e- upper end. Um, and this goes on a little bit more to talk about um, uh, fishing for the the trout in, in Crane Creek. It is uh, very challenging. It's very small. It's very tight. Um Tim Holmesley is the owner of Tim's Fly Shop in Cassville, Missouri. I actually happen to have met him a few times, um, and you know he he really takes a kind of a personal, um, almost ownership of this of this special fishery. And he says that you have to sneak up on them; you can't just walk down there and start fishing. And and I quote: "If you haven't lost six or eight flies down here, well, you haven't fished Crane Creek." So. That's the story. I thought it was pretty interesting. um, A, that we have this little pocket of genetically pure uh, rainbow trout a long way from home, and that, uh, you know, this is one of those little projects, you know, like removing culverts or all sorts of things, stream stabilization, bank stabilization that improves habitat. You know, we tend to focus on a lot of the really big issues. But there's a lot that can happen on just about any watershed or lake or anything that can help improve the fishery, help improve the environment. And I think that that's a, a great thing to celebrate. So that's my Fish in the News contribution for 2017. Have a happy holidays and keep nerding on in 2018. Here's another podcast review uh, from our
0: friend... AJ1. AJ1 is a fellow pos- podcaster called Anthony Hayes, uh, and he's, he says, I can't remember the last time I had this much fun listening to a podcast. Subscribe to this one. Rich Collins, our fly fishing correspondent, sent in uh, this this story. He also is a uh, internet guru. He runs a production company called uh, Thirst Productions, uh, and uh, here is his story. And I'm, I'm pretty sure This is fake news.
5: Hello, nerds. This is Rich, your fly fishing correspondent. As some of you know on the Facebook groups, I have a pet peeve. Um, And I don't really know what else to call it. Maybe a false belief, or maybe you could call it fake news, if you're so inclined. Um, But basically, I have a... Bug up my ass about the use of the terms bullhead and catfish interchangeably. So now I get it. I understand everything with whiskers that looks like a fish that has the whiskers is probably a catfish. And there's many, many types of catfish, um, including the bullhead, in particular, the brown bullhead. So I guess if you talk about science and you look at, you know, the genus and the species, you're going to find that the bullhead is a catfish. So in our man-made magical system of names and conventions, we've determined, that a bullhead belongs to the catfish family, I understand this. The bullhead may be genetically or um scientifically a catfish, but among us are fishermen, great men and women who tell tales catch fish and live to lie about it later Uh, in our reality there is no fact there's only big fish bigger fish and the biggest fish we missed um and it's always been that way and it always will be so I guess what I'm trying to say is we make our own rules. We determine our own fate. We catch the fish that we want to catch, not the fish we actually catch. So when I'm nailing Collins' perch left and right, in my head those are, you know, 28, 29-inch walleye, meaty, juicy, delicious so let's just say those killers of the deep, which may resemble Colin's perch, but in my head, like I say, are massive monsters. And uh, it's my reality, so I can shape it as I like. So let's do the same thing. Um, ready? Bear with me. So we're going catfishing, or um, as some people call it up here in New Hampshire, horn-pouting, or as I always called it, bullheading. Um, I grew up in upstate New York. We had bullhead. We fished for them every spring, late at night. We tossed worms out. um, I believe they were spawning, and we slayed giant bullhead. And by giant, I'm saying, you know, maybe 16, 18 inches long, fat as the day is long, um, and just hefty, hefty fish. Now, these were bullhead because there was another species Um, okay. Same species, all these words and, and all these keep coming back to haunt me, but there was another fish that lurked within this Lake, which was a Lake in, in New York state, um, in central New York. And this was the monster bullheads, um, which we called catfish. So you'd spend an evening catching 50, 100, um, wasn't unheard of bullhead, which we put in the proverbial white bucket, brought home and put into a, uh, a bathtub. My uncle kept in his backyard with a hose running into it. So it was like an aquarium and he put these bullhead in this, uh, this crazy, you know, claw foot tub, um, to keep them alive and healthy because we ate them. We ate them a lot. We ate a lot of freshwater fish growing up, um, So those were bullhead. But what was really interesting is every once in a while you'd be out in the boat or you'd be out, you know, fishing for walleye and you would land this monstrous thing, this, this kind of monster of the deep, this hairy, greasy looking thing that was, um, you know, it could eat children. It was so big and it was so scary. And that was a catfish. So you didn't pull up this bullhead and say oh my god look it's a giant mutant bullhead no that was a catfish so to me these are two different fish i don't care if they're the same species i don't care if they're the same relative to one another they're two different things because you don't always catch catfish that is monster, dark dwelling, hairy, um, you know, night breeding, scary monster catfish that break your line and tow your boat when you catch them. No, no, those are catfish and they don't come around very often. Bullhead hornpout, whatever you want to call them, brown bullhead, yellow bullhead, they're frequent, but they're not catfish. A catfish is a prize. It's something bigger than life, and it's something that you take with you um, in terms of memories forever. So that is the difference between a bullhead and a catfish, and I'm going to stick to it. So remember, regular size, not impressive, bullhead, huge monstrosity, catfish. And now you know the origin of my tale, and now you know my logic. So I hope you go out and target Bullhead for your daily grind, and every once in a while, land the Sasquatch of the Sea.
0: Did you know you could leave us uh, reviews from the podcast on Facebook? Go to Fish Nerds uh, on Facebook, and and you could leave us a five-star review there. Our friend uh, David did that. David said, it's the uh, best podcast around. Reminds me of going fishing with my dad. We never stay on subject. We talk about worldly events, and we never... Uh, we are never smarter after hanging out. Uh, never. That's true. No one's ever been smarter after hanging out with me. I totally, totally agree with that. Uh, I told him the best segment was that The Screaming Frogs Have Me in Tears. He said, What the hell is a Screaming Frog and what's a podcast? He's in his late 70s. By the way, uh, about 75% of people in this country still have no idea what a podcast is. So keep sharing the love. John King, uh, our friend, uh, John King, the crappy hippie. Left, left, stuff, left us a five-star review on Facebook. One of the best things I have found on the net, the focus of the show being on the big picture of all things fish, not just how to catch them, appeals to the geeky nerd and environmental passion and a true angler's personality. So uh, we link John King, the crappy hippie. We're going to talk a lot about John next week on the show. I've got a lot to say about him. Uh, Matthew Ward left us a five-star review. Fantastic. Keeps me sane at work and stops me from pulling my boss's head off. Uh, well, Matthew, we are super glad to have saved the life of your boss. We, we hate the, the idea of, of someone dying because you haven't got a chance to hear the Fish Nerds podcast. We've been off the, off, the, uh, off the internet for a couple of weeks, and we hope that your boss survived the holidays and that you did as well. All right. Now time for a little of Stump the Fish Nerds. We got. You can call, by the way. Anyone can be part of this. We love Stump the Fish Nerds, and we want more people to call the Fish Nerds Hotline. 607-378-FISH. Call us. Leave us a voicemail. We'll use it on the show uh, and answer your your nerdy questions. Uh, this question came from our friend, uh, the Crappy Hippie in Eastern Kansas. Uh, he's uh, He's been binging on the show and really been like, becoming a really good contributor lately. He sent me some... Uh, some glass fishing lures, which I'm going to talk about next week. He took my least favorite lake in the planet and printed out uh, depth maps and marked where he thought I might be able to find fish. That's at Silver Lake, the, the worst place on earth, um, and where I guide. Um, and anyway, so he's been spending a lot of time with the fish nerds lately, and we just love them. And he called in with this question:
9: "Hello, fish nerd nation." This is Croppy Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas. I've been listening with great interest to some older episodes of Fish Nerds and how Clay Grove became a guide. Because out here in Kansas, if you want to be a professional fishing guide, you just write, I'm a fishing guide on a piece of typing paper and stick it to the side of your truck. Uh, so I have many questions about the rigorous process that you go through to get to be a guide in New Hampshire. And one of the main things I want to ask is they tell you if a guy, uh, client is injured or gets stung by a bee and so forth, you know, the trip is over. And you if you're going to err, it's on the side of common sense and take them to safety. But most of my friends, if you try to end their trip when they got stung by a bee, they pitch an absolute fit and refuse to have the trip be over. I mean, I know some of them that bust their ankle and still want to go through with it. So if you have a difficult client who won't do what's best for their own good, how do you deal with it, Mr. Grove? That is my question. Thank you, everybody. This is Crappy Hippie saying, "Tight lines and Valentines, peace out."
0: All right, thank you for the question, uh, Crappy Hippie. And, and basically, what he's asking is, you know, in guide school they te- they taught us they they taught us that no matter what you do during this is now this is setting up for the oral the oral boards. We have sit in front of like three like fishing game officers. And explain to them what you would do in certain situations. And as everyone knows, when you are explaining something to somebody versus real life, it's two different worlds. So in guide school they taught us, and in, and then in the thing is, always err on the side of extreme caution. Your job as a guide is to keep people safe. So the, so like if someone is someone sung by a bee, and you don't know their history, theoretically, you should be ending your trip and getting home. Now I own the ice fishing guide, ice fishing guide, so none of my clients are getting stung by bees. But uh, erring on the side of caution is really important, especially in this testing environment where you're trying to like show fishing game that you are a responsible guide and that people who fish with you, if they get hurt, you're going to know what to do, and in, in all these different scenarios. Um, and he's right. Like if if I was if I paid a guide and i got hurt a little bit a little cut a little bee sting or something and they ended the trip early i would be pissed i'd be pissed uh and and so i think every when you when you're in the situation of a test it's a generic scenario what do you do if this you know if this hypothetical happens but in real life when the hypothetical becomes a real thing there are a lot more variables in play besides just besides just that one you know that guy got stung by a bee uh, and you can ask a lot more questions and you have time to react and think and, and assess the situation and do things a little bit differently. So you have that kind of like fuzzy line between reality and the test. Uh, and so what I was talking about in that episode, I did a whole series on how to become a fishing guide, which I'll link to on the show notes, um, is is you when you're taking the test and you're proving you're a safe person, you err on the side of caution – when you are in the field, you try to err on the side of caution, but you also are in a customer service business. And if you're out with a client and he sh- assures you or she assures you that they're not allergic to bees and they get stung by a bee, uh, you kind of have to take it at that face value and watch the reaction. You know, are they starting to have trouble breathing? Are they itchy? Are they rashy? Are these things happening that are indicators of problems? Now, I don't do any backwards trips. I'm not bringing people three miles out in the woods or seven miles out in the woods to do any work. So I'm, I'm not gonna deal with that in real life, but it's a good question. We love that you called it in, uh, and again, it's that verse that that reality versus the test, and it's always a little bit different in reality because there's a lot more variables in play. Uh, Crappy hippy, thank you so much for uh, putting the time in the show. Thank you for listening to past episodes. Thank you for your kind words on Facebook uh, and and in writing. You've sent me some nice letters. Um, we really appreciate you, it's, and it's not just you, but all our listeners who really make this show um, what it is. Uh, a year ago, I was uh, about to close the show down, and it's it's interaction with listeners that is the reason the show is still here. So anyone who has anything to say or wants to be part of the show, give us a call, 607-378-FISH, leave us a voicemail, or send me an email, clay at fishnerds.com, leave us a review on Facebook or wherever you happen to be. And and uh, you know, be part of this crazy nerdy world that we live in. Um, it's 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 really great that um, that we live in a time where anyone can turn a microphone on and start talking and and compete or reach the same level of people that like NPR shows get. Like it's it's really fun to see the audience cross over from different podcasting and stuff like that. Well, this recording at four in the morning is hard. All right, wait, right, so that's it. You've listened to a whole bunch of nerds and you definitely should have been fishing. Uh, special thanks to my um, to my family for allowing me the time to podcast. Really big thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers, people who um, financially support the show. It really is um, what keeps us, you know, the, besides the support emotionally and, you know, kindness, having money really makes a big deal. If you go to patreon.com slash uh, fish nerds you can leave us some money we're hoping that most listeners give us a dollar an episode if we, if we had all of our listeners go to p-a-t-r-e-o-n slash fish nerds and give us a dollar an episode it's four dollars a month we would make enough money to, um, to, to do this job as a job we'd have enough money where I could quit <laughs> writing grants for the school system and I could just be a full-time podcaster and fish nerd um, and so four bucks a month can get us there I would love to get there uh, and I would love to get there um, with having Fish nerd supporters as as patrons as opposed to having um, a whole bunch of advertisers. So that said, I'm not against advertisers. I would love to have those as well. If you want to support the show that way, also give us a call. We love we love all kinds of money. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you so much. Um, and until next time, follow the code of the nerd: spawn early and often, avoid free lunches with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. And now... Time for your local fishing reports. We only have two reports this week. The first one is from me, from the Fish Nerds Guide Service. Fishing in the heart of the Mount Washington Valley, the only guide service here. In Information on fishing with me, go to fishnerds.com. Uh, fishing up here has been uh, good. Uh, the ice is strong. It's been it's been uh, lots of mornings here. I negative 10, negative 24. Um, in fact, it's been almost too cold to fish on some days. But if you can get out there, there's lots of uh, good thick ice And if you can make a hole in it You can catch all species of fish right now Everything seems to be hungry So get out there and fish Be extra, extra warm Be extra, extra careful If you get wet on the ice With these temperatures You will die And we got a phone-in report From, from Crappy Hippie So here is his fishing report
9: Hello Fish Nerd Nation This is John King The crappie Hippie your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas with a fishing report. While well, the crappie bite is on, they're moving into the winter pattern. Where if you find them, you find a lot of them. If you don't, you might not find any. Uh, my friend Kim at Crappie Stopper Jigs posted a picture. He did real well down at uh, Hillsdale off the docks, and I hear they're biting off the docks at Pomona too, which is an awful lot of fun because for six bucks you can fish the slips all day. The crappie tend to be small, but there's no limit on them either in length or numbers. And you'd be doing that lake a favor to get over there and take a few out. And hey, it's the closest thing we're going to come to ice fishing around here since, thanks to global warming, the ice fishing never seems, the ice never seems to get thick enough. We are also very excited at Glasswater Lead Free Lures to announce the launch of our first lure, Angle King, the unique double spinnerbait underspin. You can check that out at glasswaterleadfreelures.com. Take one fish in because the bass bite is on, but you got to go low and slow. So get yourself an angle cane or a big jig or something along that line, a blade bait. Get out there and get them, especially a till the They ain't big, but they're biting. This has been the Crappie Hippie, your tree hugging redneck from eastern Kansas, wishing you tight lines and valentines. Peace out.
0: Thank you. And again, you can call in your reports to 607-378-FISH. That's our hotline, 607-378-FISH.